In the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D. Bring the noise. Fifth Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this this is what's good. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week. Hope you guys enjoyed my God's a Rap special from last week. Obviously, still on a high from that. I'm honestly, I'm honestly on a high in general, actually. Just um, I don't know. Just uh, the weather's been, you know, the weather's finally perked up. First day of t-shirt weather yesterday. Um, you know, I literally just uh, came off booking a show uh, for, uh, well, booking uh, to see Master Ace next week, <laughs> and I'm so happy for that. Honestly, like he's one of my favourite uh, lyricists of all time. You know, it's it's, it's great, and uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a lot to feel grateful about at the moment. I have a lot to feel. Not to feel good about. So this is going to be, you know, the, the topics themselves. You know, obviously I haven't you know talked about much. Well, obviously I haven't talked about any topics in the past couple of weeks. Obviously I had the God's Wrath special last week. So yeah, I've been, I've kind of been out of the loop just a little bit, just a little bit. You know, not not fully out of it. Just a, just a, just a titty bit out of it. You know, trying to trying to focus on other things and you know living life and all that. But um, yeah, so uh, I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good. So uh, yeah, so it's kind of. You just got. You just got. You know, take these. You know, good vibes and. Uh, you know, just uh, just em- just embrace them because you know at some point it'll it'll you know the high will come down. <laughs> I'll, there will, there will be times where I'll be well not be able to see Mast Ace or you know go, or go to a show in general. I've actually been to you know I've been to one two. I'm going to a third one tomorrow. I'm going to my fourth one this this month. So you know I've. I've I've been I've been going in hard on my shows uh, recently, just you know going to London and hitting up some good shows. So, yeah, you know, I feel very I feel very lucky to do that, you know. Sometimes, so um, yeah. So hope hopefully we keep that hopefully we keep that vibe going. Uh, but um, yeah, let's, let's let's get into the show. Regardless, uh, in a week where <laughs> I, I thought I'd start so funny because uh, just made this made me laugh seeing it. Just I haven't, I haven't got any reaction to it. I just I just. I just have to say it. In a week where Kanye and Kim named their new kid Psalm, Psalm, like like the Book of Psalms, Psalm. Yeah, that's that's no no reaction. The European elections loom over a UK that doesn't know whether to take it seriously or not, and milkshakes have become the symbol of being against the far right. And also, more recently, literally a couple of days ago, RIP to Nicky Lauda, age seventy. I think if you remember a couple of episodes ago, I talked about how you know I thought Nicky Lauda was um, is ha- had held is holding uh, or has held in past tense uh, the greatest comeback in sports. You know, to come back six weeks later from like you know literally nearly being burned alive and dying from dying from those burns, and then coming back six weeks later to carry on racing. That's that's the greatest comeback of all time, and you know, as an ambassador to motorsport and especially to Formula One, you know, he he was a he was a absolute, you know, uh, just he was logical, he was methodical, and you know, just a kind of the epitome of a of a true, I guess, racer in in in, in 
in a sentence. So, R.I.P. Nicky Loud, age 70. We'll begin to the show. We have two live topics for you because I thought, you know, um, obviously I haven't covered much in the past couple of weeks, so I just thought I'd do two live topics because, you know, there's, there's one where I'm. There's one that's kind of timely, and there's one that I'm kind of uh, thinking about, that I have been thinking about recently, and uh, just the article popped up, and I was like, oh good, that's, that's a good reason to talk about it. So, we've got those, we also have uh, some sports, and also some film and television. Uh, we'll start off with some life, and uh, we'll start off with... One, ip dip do ip dip do let's, let's start with the overall one. Because I feel like it bleeds into the next one in a in a in a way, not fully, but in a way you, you'll you'll see how I get into it. So, this is a a Guardian article I saw by Dorian Linsky uh, called "Nothing But the Truth: The Legacy of George Orwell's 1984," and I think it was like last year, was it? Yeah, about around this time last year that I read 1984 for. I think the first time, maybe? I may, I may, may have read it beforehand. I may have read it years before. Uh, but this time I actually read it properly and also listened to the audiobook as well because I like more audiobooks. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, when I think about, you know, the stories and what to do for stories and stuff like that and, you know, keeping up with what's going on in the world, I think about this book a lot. And also, you know, just... A lot of dystopian books, you know, you can shout out Fahrenheit 451 as well, that kind of thing. You know, just most dystopia books are kind of, they kind of, you know, get to the point of, you know, this this isn't, this shouldn't be normal, but it is. And, you know, and then you link it to the real world and you're like, wow, this is, this is actually going down kind of thing. You know, George Orwell predicted the future kind of thing, you know what I mean? So it's kind of fascinating. So I wanted to get into this because... Um, you know, every time I think of, you know, fake news or Trump and, you know, just surveillance or technology or the future, I always think of 1984 in some fa- in some fashion, so I thought I'd get into this. So, let's get into the article itself. This is, uh, this is very lengthy, so I'll, you know, I'll probably stop somewhere and, uh, you know, and uh, pick pick apart some, um, some paragraphs here and there. I won't read, I'll try not to read it all. Uh, but I'll get in, I'll get into the start of it, and then I'll just uh, skip a couple, just to just so you can get the full picture. December nineteen forty-eight, a man sits at a typewriter in bed on a remote island, fighting to complete the book that means more to him than any other. He is terribly ill. The book will be finished, and a year or so later, so will the man. January twenty seventeen, another man stands before a crowd, which is not as large as he would like, in Washington D.C. Taking the oath as office as the 45th President of the United States of America. His press secretary says that it was the, quote, largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period, both in person and around the globe, unquote. Asked to justify such a preposterous lie, the president's advisor describes the statement as, quote, alternative facts, unquote. Over the next four days, U.S. sales of the dead man's book will rocket by almost 10,000%, making it a number one bestseller. When George Orwell's 1984 was published in the United Kingdom on 8th of June 1949, in the heart of the 20th century, one critic wondered how such a timely book would possibly exert the same power over generations to come. 35 years later, when the president caught up with Orwell's future and the world was not the nightmare he had described, commentators again predicted that uh, that his popularity would wane. Another 35 years have elapsed since then, and 1984 remains the book we turn to when truth is mutilated, when language is distorted, 
when power is abused, when we want to know how bad things can get. It is still, in the words of Anthony Burgess, author of A Clockwork Orange, quote, an apocalyptical codex of our worst fears, unquote. 1984 has not just sold tens of millions of copies, it has infiltrated the consciousness of countless people who have never read it. The phrases and concepts uh, that Orwell minted have become essential fixtures of political language, still potent after decades of use and misuse, Newspeak, Big Brother, The Thought Police, Room 101, The Two Minutes, uh, Two Minutes Hate, Double Think, Unperson, Memory Hole, Telescreen, 2 plus 2 equals 5, and The Ministry of Truth. Its title came to define a calendar year, while the word Orwellian has turned the author's own name into a capacious synonym for everything he hated and feared. It has been adapted for cinema, television, radio, theatre, opera and ballet, and has influenced novels, films, plays, television shows, comic books, albums, advertisements, speeches, election campaigns and uprisings. People have spent years in jail just for reading it. No work of literary fiction from the past century approaches its cultural ubiquity while remaining its weight, while retaining its weight. Sorry, dissenting voices such as Milan Kundera and Harold Bloom have argued that 1984 is actually a bad novel with thin characters, humdrum prose, and implausible plot. But even they couldn't gainsay its importance. A novel that has been claimed by socialists, conservatives, and uh, anarchists, liberals, Catholics and libertarians of every description cannot be, as Kundera alleged, merely, quote, political thought disguised as a novel, unquote. Orwell's famously translucent prose uh, conceals a world of complexity. Normal, normally, through, uh, normally thought of as a dystopia, 1984 is also, to a varying, to varying and debatable degrees, a satire, a prophecy, a warning, a political thesis, a work of science fiction, a spy thriller, a psychological horror, a gothic nightmare, a postmodern text, and a love story. Most people read uh, read it when they're young and feel bruised by it. Yeah, it offers more uh, suffering and less reassurance than any other high uh, standard high school co- high school text. But don't feel compelled to rediscover it in adulthood. That's a shame. It is far richer and stranger than you remember. Orwell felt that he lived in cursed times. He fantasized about another life in which he could have spent his days gardening and writing fiction instead of being, quote, forced into becoming a pamphleteer, unquote. Love that word, pamphleteer. Great word. Uh, but that would have been a waste. His real talent was for analyzing and explaining tumultuous, a tumultuous period in human history. Written down, his core values might seem too vague to carry much weight, honesty, decency, liberty, justice... But no one else wrestled so tirelessly in private and in public with what those ideas meant during the darkest days of the 20th century. He always tried to tell the truth and admire anyone who did likewise. Nothing built on a lie, however seductively convenient, could have value. Central to his honesty was his commitment to honor constantly working out what he thought and why he thought it, and never ceasing to reassess those opinions. To quote Christopher Hitchens, one of Orwell's most eloquent admirers, quote, It matters not what you think, but how you think, unquote. Now, the rest of the uh, rest of the piece kind of gets into the more, you know, um, um, political sense of, uh, political, com- uh, what's the word, um, comparisons to it, you know, talking about Trump, talking about fake news and all of that. And also the uh, right of the piece talks about, you know, how he, how he first discovered it. But, you know, it's... I, I do wonder, you know, just firstly, have you read the book? Uh, I think it would be quite interesting to 
talk to someone who has read the book and then read the book and then <laughs> see what they think of it. And, you know, all the things said there are kind of true. Like, you know, the book isn't, you know, in in completely objective terms of being a book. It's not the best book. You know, it's not the you know, most riveting story of all time. You know, it's not the most riveting anything, if you, if, whatever you want to call it, a love story or, or whatever you want to call it. But that's kind of the beauty of it in a way, where, you know, you can have your own interpretations, several interpretations, as, you know, as described there. And obviously the real world connotations are getting more and more, are becoming more and more clear. And, you know, there's much more clarity to it, you know, seeing surveillance and, you know, you just think Big Brother and then you think of Newspeak as well and... And how you know people take the word have taken the word facts, and have kind of distorted that in a way. You know that's very Orwellian. That's that's extremely Orwellian. So it is kind of fascinating just from a base perspective. If you have read the book, obviously objectively it's not the most entertaining read. But then when you link it to the world around you and the world we're living in and maybe what the future holds what it what it what you think it holds or what it looks like it holds to you it the context of that when you add context to it it becomes some it becomes it becomes much more it becomes much more than just a you know just a regular book read it becomes a lot more than that so depending on if you have read it and if you haven't read it, I highly suggest you do go read it if you haven't, because you know, it's quite, it's you know, it's it's an, it's an okay read. It's not that it's not that long a book. I've got it right here, so it's not anyway. <clears throat> yes, yeah, it's kind of like the you know the I don't know what size I don't know what it's what's a good size of a book, but you know it's it's it's, it's you know it's got about three hundred and fifty pages around the, around the area. Uh, just you know taking out the appendix is about three hundred forty two pages. So you know it's not absurd. It's not. As I try and put that back, try and put that back, my shelf, you know, it's not that, it's not that long a book, you know, 342 pages, how long is that, I don't know, maybe a book reader could tell me how long that is, but you know, it's not as, it's not encyclopedic, it's not, it's, it's, it's a good read, it is a good read, and then when you add the context to it, it's a lot more, it, it opens you up to a lot more, a lot more, the ability to, you know, add connotation and add context to it is what makes it great and probably the reason why it has withstood the, you know, test of time kind of in a way, um, nearly 100 years on. So I just wanted to talk about that because, you know, overall just, uh, you know, thinking about, you know, like I said before, I think about that book a lot, you know, in terms of what's going on in the world and uh, I just thought I put it on the show as well. So... <clears throat> and uh, so let's go on to the next. Yeah, let's go on to the next life topic. And you know, now that I think, now that I thought about it, it has nothing to do with the William kind of thing. It's, it's just, it's just straight up. It's racism. It's just, it's just, just straight up racism. That's what it is. So a recent study has. Uh, well, the title is the of the uh, by Robert by Robert Booth. Uh, racism rising since uh, the the exit vote nationwide study reveals. So there's, an, there's been a nationwide study, and obviously it's been nearly three years since the vote. And, you know, that's enough time, I think, in my mind, for, you know, comprehensive study to be completed. And a nationwide study has been completed. So let's get into this. This is a, this is a lot of facts here. A lot of facts here. So let's get into this. 
Uh, ethnic minorities in Britain are facing rising in increasingly of uh, racism, with levels of discrimination and abuse continuing to grow in the wake of the uh, exit referendum. Nationwide research reveals. Excuse me. Seventy-one uh, percent of people from ethnic minorities now report having faced racial discrimination, compared with fifty-eight percent. Excuse me again. In January 2016, before the EU vote, according to polling data seen by the Guardian. Uh, the data comes amid rising concern uh, at the use of divisive rhetoric in public before this week's European Parliament elections. It's actually dropping, well, this episode is dropping on the day that the votes are going to happen in the UK. So just um, just added context there for uh, for future listens. Um, where some leading candidates, including UKIP's Carl Benjamin, the independent Tommy Robinson, have records of overt racism. And they have, you know, several graphs here, which um, you can look at for yourself. I'll, I'll obviously pop the link on the fifthandmedog.uk if you want to, if you want to have a look. Uh, the survey by Opinium suggests Opinium, Opinium, like Adinium, Opinium, uh, suggests the racists are feeling increasingly confident in deploying overt abuse or discrimination. The proportion of people from ethnic minority who said they have been targeted by a stranger rose from 64% in January 2016 to 76% in February this year. When the most recent polling was carried out of 1,006 people weighted to be nationally representative. The trend appears in line with crime figures which have shown that racially motivated hate crime has increased every year since 2013 doubling to 71,251 incidents in England and Wales in 2018, according to the Home Office. I think we've talked about that, you know, that kind of, um, uh, you know, crime figures, hate crime figures. I think that was very, very early in, uh, like, uh, maybe December, January time when I did What's Good. So uh, try and find that episode. <laughs> I'll try and find that episode for you. Uh, David Lammy, uh, the Labour MP for Tottenham and the leading anti-racism campaign, described the findings as, quote, alarming while Omar Khan, the chief executive of the Running Me Trust, a race equality think tank, said it was now clear that uh, the exit, while not the source of racism, have led to higher, uh, uh, higher levels of racism being expressed and that social media was, quote, normalising hate and increasing division, unquote. The poll comes amid a wave of headlines about racism in Britain from the BBC's sacking of Danny Baker, uh, between a picture of the couple with a chimp following the birth of the Duke and Duchess's of Sussex's baby, uh, to growing anger from professional footballers at racism online in and in stadiums. Meanwhile, the Conservatives and Labour have been tainted by allegations of as allegations of Islamophobia and anti-Semitism, respectively. The survey found at the end of 2016, 37% of people saw racism on social media on a day-to-day basis. But that has now risen to 50%, and is even higher for younger minority ethnic people aged 18 to 34. Online racism has doubled since uh, before the referendum to 51%, and there were rises of about 50% in the number of people reporting, hearing, uh, people ranting or making negative comments about immigration, or making racist comments made to sound like jokes. Um, I want to get into these stats right here. It's a graphic, it's a Guardian graphic here. Now, I just want to know if they actually talk about it on the text, so I, you know, I have no reason to talk about the graphic. Um, yeah, let me get, let me give the graphic. So basically, what I'm seeing is there's a, you know, red and grey bars going, going uh, horizontally. So firstly, they have racist comments made to sound like a joke, which you know I have heard, you know, many a time, personally. 
uh, from the bars, it looks about, you know, around 35% uh, before January 20... The grey represents January 2016 and now, and the red one represents February 2019. It used to be at 30, 35%, 36%, and now it's well over 50 Racism on social media was around 30 now it's over 50%. Ranting or commenting negatively about immigration was at about 35%, now over 50 And racism in the press... Uh, around 25% previously, and there's now uh, about 40%. So, you know, significant rises on all of those parameters right there. Continuing on with the article, people from the from a black background reported the greatest increase in discrimination, with the proportion saying they had been abused or discriminated against, rising from 59% in January 2016 to 65% following October, and 74% this February and March. When the latest poll was conducted, respondents from the east of England were most likely to say they had suffered racism. Minority ethnic women also reported a sizable increase with 74% saying they had faced racial discrimination this year, compared with 61% in the latter half of 2016. This increase in racial discrimination is mainly down to racism from strangers looking at the types of racial discrimination faced. The proportion saying that they uh, they have experienced someone making a racist comment in jest have risen over to half 55% of most of, of people from ethnic minorities. There's also another graph here saying 7 out of 10 people from ethnic minorities in the UK uh, believe racist beliefs and discrimination are widespread. And, you know, to put a personal uh, spin on that, I kind of, I highly agree on that. I, you know, I highly think, I really do think that, you know, just just look at, I'm stopping from the article right now, just talking, talking to myself. Just thinking about, think about what has, you know, gone in the past, let's say, 10 years, okay? You know, obviously in the years, you know, decades prior, there were, you know, people like the National Front, and, you know, there have been groundswells of, um, you know, far-right and racist um, ideals from, you know, from political parties, you know, and that's and that's not just you know, that's not just the the National Front from back in the day, or BNP from you know ten years ago, or UKIP, or the or the um, Exit Party now, or just anything from Nigel Farage's mouth. You know, th- these ain't this ain't new. It really is not new. <laughs> you know, if, if if you've listened to this show, you've you you know that it's not been. This is not a recent thing. You know, racism in general is not a recent thing. Let's let's be real about that. It's just common sense. It's not it's not a recent thing. But the recent thing that I have noticed, I think, is the fact that you know these people are. It's becoming more normalized, not just in public life, but also in just media, in television, in what you see on the news what you read on the papers, well, especially what you read on the papers, it's, it's becoming not just widespread, but also normalised. And I think that is the, that is the dangerous thing. You know, this is, this is um, I think it's a political science concept. Um, it's, it's definitely a concept. I think it's a political science content, uh, concept called the Overton window. And basically what it's supposed to, uh, what's supposed to talk about the Overton window is all about, think of a, think of like a spectrum, okay? 
you know, think think of just like a regular spectrum. So you got, you know, this is on the right, you got this you got this colour on the left, and then you got like this little middle bit, middle ground, right? So the Overton window is supposed to, you know, uh, account for where we are where we are in this particular spectrum. So if we're talking about racism, okay, so the all the way to the right is, you know, normalised racism and, you know, just allowing shit to go down, you know, as, as, as you know, as the <laughs> Orwellian uh, <laughs> way of racism you can think of, you know, just trying to think of the worst, worst ways you can think of that. And then you also got the far left, not political far left, I just mean the far left of the Overton window, where, you know, life is, life is a racial utopia, multiculturalism is is, you know, widely accepted, there's no racists in the world, you know, obviously, and these are obviously the extremes, and will never happen, just being real, it will never happen, then you got the middle, which is where we're at, where we're supposed to be at, okay, so the Overton window is where we're at, we're supposed to be in this window, okay, just to think of like a little square in the middle, right, this is where we're, this is where we, where we could, where we're at, right, but now I'm seeing the Overton window move slightly to the right, just, just slightly to the right, you know, not all the way to the right, where, you know, you know, there's Packy Bashan's comeback, you know, obviously not shit like that, that's not coming back, you know, that's obviously to the way far right of the, of the spectrum, but we have moved slightly to the right, in my mind, where I think that it's not being, it's, it's not just, it might be being accounted for, but it's not being stamped out like it should be in my mind, and this is obviously just me. So you can you can say we're squarely in the middle, and you know there's no there's been no change in the past ten years. You know you can say that if you want, but I'm kind of backed by statistics here where you know there have been a rise, and due to that rise, the window of our um, of how we see racism is becoming a bit more lax, I think, when, you know, people aren't speaking up as often, I, in my mind, I think it's just become, because it's become so constant, we kind of get exhausted by it, and, you know, I get it, I get it, you know, I see, you know, I see the EU referendum, you know, stuff like that, and I'm just like, change channel, because I don't care anymore, <laughs> Excuse me, I don't care anymore. You know, it's 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 just it's just how it is. It just it's just how it goes sometimes. Um and I'm just looking up what the Overton window is, just so I can, you know, think just so I can um you know, correctly tell you what it is. Just found a good explanation from a place called Conceptually saying that the Overton window is a rage of, it's a, it's a political tool actually, not a, a political science tool, but theory, but it's kind of political theory. Um, the Overton window is a range of ideas the public is willing to consider and accept, ideas a, a politician could successfully campaign on. This window shifts over time as it's subject to trends of social thought and norms. All social reform movements have to, have to shift the Overton window to make progress. The concept of different races mingling in public, women voting, uh, women voting, or animal having rights on so all of these issues on the Overton window have have moved over time. Positions which were once viewed as unthinkably radical have become the prevailing wisdom, while those that were once considered mainstream are now outside the window and are and unacceptable to advocate. So basically, 
you know what the window what what's inside the window is what is what is acceptable what's just outside the window is stuff that is widely talked about and you know is kind of considered you know some good in some fashions you know sensible sensible things to talk about basically um you know just a little bit further than that there's acceptance of it and that's what i'm kind of thinking about with racism right there you know it's it's not it's not sensible but it is becoming accepted in a fashion. I don't. I want to tiptoe around that word "acceptable" actually, because I don't think that's the right word to put it. But the next bit is radical, and then the far, the far ends of it is called is called unthinkable, basically. So, you know, racism should be unthinkable, right? You know, obviously that's that's utopia status, right? And and it should be considered radical. But now this kind of in the middle of acceptable and radical. Not not quite not quite getting into the acceptable range. I would I would not say that. I don't think I should say that because obviously racism should be accepted. You know, but it is becoming a that radical thought where you know, you know we've seen it politically. We've seen you know people bitch and moan about immigration, and you know they don't consider that a race issue. They don't consider that a race issue, but there are elements of it in there. You know, for some, for definitely for some people that talk about it, you know, that you you can you can see moderate conservatives going, uh, you know, we're we're just talking about you know numbers here. We're just talking about house numbers or whatever or, or job numbers, right? They can they can easily talk about that. They can easily talk talk about immigration in that fashion, in a completely statistical and a completely you know. Uh, not business minded, but but just a you know a moderately p- politic, a political fashion. But there are also the just the social aspects of it. You're saying that these you know these people that you know can, that have that can produce for society can't come. You know what I mean? And it, it, the 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 waters get murky there, obviously. But that's where that's where I think racism is coming coming to now, where it's not accepted. Obviously, it's not it's not sensible for the love of god and we're not and it's not in the overton window it's not in the window of you know policy you know popularity and uh yeah popularity and and you know being political policy and also social policy if we're you know talking about it like that but as i say that if we're talking about it from a social perspective it's not popular it's not gospel in replacing the word policy but it is kind of becoming that thing where, you know, you constantly see it on the news and I'm just going like, why are we giving this guy airtime? You know, why is Tommy Robinson a thing? Why are we giving this dude airtime? You know, but then again, I sometimes do think there's something that should be accounted for because there's people that people that get silenced and people that, you know, are constantly told to sharp. You know they they don't sharp <laughs> just because you tell them to sharp doesn't mean they will sharp. You know what I mean? So there are there are a lot of things to this, and you know just going back to what the statistics you know put at the start of this. It's on the rise, and it's something that needs to be accounted for again. You know, it's just I don't know the figures before this. It may have lowered, it may have risen again, it may have plateaued. I don't know. But the fact that they have risen in the past two years, and we've just so happened to have a you know a very a fairly country-changing substantial vote, 
on a certain topic kind of says one thing to me. And, you know, I don't know what it says to you, you know, depending on who you are, but it says, it, it speaks kind of, it speaks volumes to me. And uh, it says that, you know, <laughs> so you, you may not, you may not see it as a, you know, as a social issue, but there are links here. There are links somewhere deep in this. I can't quite say what the links are, but I believe there are links here. So, you know, you can take that, you can take that statement if you want. You, you don't have to agree with me on that point, but you can't dispute the facts that, you know, racial discrimination has risen in the past couple of years. So, yeah, however you want to add context to that, it's up to you. So we move on to sports, and obviously it's been there's been a lot of football going on in the past you know, in the past couple of weeks. Obviously in the UK, at the you know obviously the uh, the aftermath of the Champions League and also the Europa League, and those are coming in I think next week. Um, and also the Premier League ended last week. Man City obviously won the won the uh, won the Premier League, and they've also completed the domestic treble for the first time in you know in English football history. And nobody else has done that. Nobody else has gone the FA Cup, League Cup, and the uh, and Premier League, and the and top flight of the end of, of the leagues. So, where do you, we go from here, kind of thing? And uh, this is this is a quite interesting. Um, uh, I can see it could be kind of uh, this could be a very uh, div- uh, uh, what's the word a diversionary topic. Diversionary is that a word? You know what I'm thinking about. It's it, this this topic will split a lot of people, I think, because it basically it, the, the title of the article is called Manchester City Sky Blue Smashing of Watford proves football is broken. Now I've seen a you know a couple of videos here and there by a couple of you know a couple of places. Um, I think Tifo Football did something of, of similar. Um, not that not of, not. Uh, Connecting to Manchester City, but also, but talking about football being broken in a, in a sense, and in my mind, I think it's broken in a lot of ways. Um, but what sport isn't? You know, a lot of sports are broken. You know, athletics is broken at the moment. <laughs> you know, the IAAF, you know, Olympics, IOC is broken. FIFA is broken. You know, basketball in some ways are broken. NFL is totally broken. <laughs> Baseball broken. There are a lot of sports that are broken. There's no perfect. There's no sport with a, a perfect governing body and you know, and rules that are on point and, and make everybody happy. So I don't think anyway. It's popular sports anyway. So so this will be this will divert a lot of people. This will you'll be having one site. You either agree or don't don't agree. But I will say I did watch the uh, FA Cup final with my pops and it was crap. <laughs> Let's be real. It was crap, and you know, once we saw, once when, we all knew, right? If you watched the game, we all knew that it was going to be, it was going to be Manchester City after halftime. You know, obviously, Watford were going to go for broke. They were going to throw all their men uh, in attack and just, you know, try and try and get a goal. And you know, and after that, see where it goes. But then after that third goal, you knew it was a wrap. You know, the balloon deflated. The balloon deflated, but but then. Excuse me, Guardiola just put on like De Bruyne and then Sane, and I was like, "Okay, you're clearly going for a lot of goals here. You're clearly going for the kill. You're clearly trying to make a statement here." And you know, there there were some there were some pictures during that game after after you know De Bruyne scored and uh, Raheem got another one. I think uh, Jesus got another one. 
where I was just like, where Pep had his head in his hands. I was like, what are you sad about? You clearly went for the kill, mate. You clearly went for the kill. And, you know, nothing wrong with that. But don't act like you ain't happy about it. Anyway. Or don't act like you didn't ask for it. Anyway. So let's get into this cycle. So football is broken. Goals, goals, goals. Oh, this is by uh, Jonathan Wilson of the Guardian, by the way. Goals, goals, goals. Trophies everywhere. Man City were brilliant on Saturday, relentless and remorseless, and thoroughly deserving of equaling the record ever margin of victory in an FA Cup final. The domestic treble is unprecedented, and so too is the quality of their football. 169 goals, 61 games in all competitions. 11 times they have scored five or more in a game this season, and yet, and yet, dot, dot, dot. It is not just that this feels so unlike City, not just that it feels like feels a few episodes have been skipped in a satisfying character arc from likable buffoons to ruthless killing machine. That first half of the sentence is terrible. Like, what was that? It is not just that it feels oh so herky jerky. Um, anyway, uh, is that it feels so unlike a cup final? In terms of competitiveness, you may as well have placed a yellow and black uh, black blancmange uh, in the middle of the pitch and smashed it with blue sky ore. This is City's problem. They are too good. Yeah, I'm just going to come out of that for a second there and just just say, you know, if you're a football fan, you can see where this is going, right? You, you probably can see where this is going. When they when they say a team has been too good, you know, it, this happens a lot in basketball and it's happened recently, you know, the Golden State Warriors. And it's just like, I, in my mind, I'm like, you know, not all dynasties last forever, you know what I mean? So you have to kind of just let it go and it will... You know, and the universe will balance itself out. You know what I mean? So, I I just think like I just think like that when it comes to sport. Most of the time, you know, not everyone's dominance is going to be forever. You know what I mean? So, but anyway, let's get into it. This is the problem. They are too good, and that has brought to the surface concerns about their ownership and financing that perhaps should have been more prominent earlier. There is no doubt that Pep Guardiola makes players better, and there is no doubt the city have spent their money incredibly efficiently. But equally, the scale and the source of these res- those resources is something unprecedented. Even if the latest UEFA investigation does not prove wrongdoing, Saturday's final was not a game. It was a strangely gruesome exhibition. There is no point pretending anymore. <laughs> Watford may have finished 11th in the Premier League, but there were 48 points adrift of the champions. Seeing Watford are not playing the same game anymore. It is true this was the only joint biggest win in an FA Cup final, but Berry in 1903 had not just won the league, had not just collected 198 points across two Premier League seasons, and were not funded by the sovereign wealth of an emirate. Berry, in fact, have not won the prem, uh, not won a trophy since. It seems that very unlikely City are about to embark on 116 years of hurt. Their situations are not comparable. Football is broken. It is not just that Watford have lost their last 11 games against City, uh, that they have not beaten them in 30 years. It is that without major structural changes in the finances of the game, or the arrival uh, at Vicarage Road of a chic, oligarch or nation-state looking to enhance its global reputation, there is no prospect of them being able to challenge challenge over any sort of sustained period. There have always been big clubs before, rich clubs, but never clubs whose, stayers, uh, whose status at the top of the game is so systematically secure. In 67 Premier League games this season, one side has 70% possession or more. Uh, 15 years ago, there was one. What? 67 Premier League games this season, one side had 70% possession or more. 15 years ago, there was one. 
So it's still one. What? <laughs> what kind of point is statistic? Is, is that just me? Am I reading this wrong? 67 Premier League games. One side had 70% possession more. 15 years ago, there was one. Right. So what was the point in that statistic if it's, if it's still at the status quo? I don't know. Anyway, um, uh, that is one in six games. That is one in six games that are not in any meaningful sense of contest. Okay, right. Okay, 67 games, and there was one game. Okay, I see it. I'm here. I'm there now. I'm here. Okay, that is one in six games uh, that are not in any meaningful sense of context. Okay, right. I see now. 67 games had 70% possession. 15 years ago, there was only one game. I see now. Okay, continuing on. Yes, no empire lasts forever. Yes, City may falter. And yes, there is something a little unfair that sees very excellence is what makes these concerns so pressing. If anything, Clive, they... Uh, if anything, Clive, they have used their resources too well. Who's, who's Clive? Who, who's Clive? <laughs> Why are we talking to a Clive? Hi, Clive. Who's Clive? Anyway, that's a bit weird. Um, uh, but Saturday was miserable. The traditional showpiece of the English season reduced to a grim parade, devoid of any drama, there to satisfy the propaganda wing of a faraway, regi- faraway regime. Perhaps some people enjoy watching eviscera- eviscerations like this. Romans, after all, flocked to the Colosseum for fixtures between lions and, lions and Christians. They were only marginally less one-sided than this. But even City fans did not seem particularly enthused, grumbling on the underground about a fifth trip to Wembley uh, this season and cheering goals with weary satisfaction that used to be reserved for a top-flight team battering a minnow in the third round. Maybe there is some pleasure, pleasure to be derived from watching Masters at work, whatever the profession, and CER Masters. It's just that in games like Saturdays, uh, it feels like a pointless, it feels a pointless virtuosity. Abattoirs perhaps should fling their doors open. Roll up, roll up, watch the greatest butchers in all Europe slice the carcass. The gulf between the elite and the rest, of, uh, and the rest have, has never been as defined as this. It is not just City, it is not just England. Bayern Munich wrapped up the Bundesliga title on Saturday to mean that for the first time in history, the league title in each of Europe's big five leagues have been retained. At least in the Premier League, it is the first time since 2009. There is at least a notional six challenges elsewhere, retention has become the norm. There comes a time where you have to step back and say this is pointless. Teams such as Watford should not just be pasties. Uh, they and their fans deserve better than to be mice tossed into the tank for the Python to feast upon. The disparities in wealth are going to get bigger from next season as the richer clubs receive a greater share of overseas television rights and they are almost certain to grow even more when the Champions League is revamped from 2024. Greed has won, big finances won. Whatever the small role uh, elite clubs still play in the local communities from which they grew is dwarfed now by their position as global brands. It is de- desperately sad to say it, but if the future is more is more mismatches like Saturdays, or the sort of coronation procession uh, that so many leagues have now become, maybe the least bad solution is to just let them go, let them have their Super League. Okay, so I'm going to take this seriously, you know, because he does make some good points, even though most of the article is just uh, thinking up ways of... How in, in thinking up of how many historical, uh, how many historical comparisons they can make to the battering they received, the Colosseum Lion versus Christian and you know abattoirs roll up roll up, and, you know it's it's funny and you know it's very very poetic and I'll give him that, and I think this is just something that 
you know, we are way behind on. You know, there's there's been a lot of articles on this. I think I talked about this similar a similar thing recently, uh, as it pertains to you know big uh, sports washing. You know, this is this is a thing. This is relevant, and I think it's just it's not even unavoidable. Isn't the word inevitable? Isn't the word the the phrase is it's already happened. Like you know, we are way too late on this. You know. This this started this was it started with I don't know who it started with but it started it started at least ten years ago, at least ten years ago you know and it's just become such a such a thing now that it's pointless doing these articles about it you know there's no and I feel it I feel it when I watched the FA Cup final it didn't feel magical it felt just like it just felt like a regular prem game where. Man City destroyed Watford like they should have. You know what I mean? It didn't it didn't seem like, you know, the the magic that you guys talk about when it comes to the FA Cup. It didn't seem like that to me. It did not seem like that. So I completely understand where it's coming from. On the point of a Super League, I don't really I don't really think I'm qualified to say whether they should or should not. I mean, I guess that would be cool. But then again, you know, that would just be I don't know what would happen to the Champions League. What would happen to all of the other leagues? You know, if Barcelona and Real Madrid left Liga, or even you can have at Atletico if you really want to. But you know, what happens to the rest of them? You know, do people go to those games? You know, do people? Well, obviously, always everyone goes to the games because obviously there's always a local. There will always be a local fan base, which I think is, you know, what's you know, what will always be a saving grace for football is that there's always going to be a local support for every team which is good you know you don't have that with the NBA you don't have that with the NFL you know I mean there's not there's none of that you know local grassroots loving of that team you know I mean they don't not not many other sports have that so um if it was a super league then yeah I guess but then would they be relegated would if if those teams got relegated would there be a relegation would they get relegated to their regular league i mean there's there's, there's a lot of moving parts here that i can't really put together so i don't think that w- it sounds feasible to me but in the conversation of you know big businesses one big finance and you know oligarchs you know taking over and stuff like that you know it's happened it's it's been happened and it's kind of over already the the, the transition has been made, you know, and to talk about it now is just kind of a mute point. It really is kind of a mute point. So with that said, I shall move on. Um, moving on to film and TV, talking about the last topic. And obviously, and this will be very quick because I just want to get a point off my chest of, uh, of, of, of talking about a certain show. So Game of Thrones ended and, you know, if I, I didn't watch him. I do not, I do not watch Game of Thrones. I probably watched like one episode, and can and you know the one episode I watched. If you really want to know, uh, it's the one where Joffrey dies, and I kind of find that entertaining. Even though you know, if if there was one episode that I would like to watch, that was kind of it because I could see I was like, this dude's a dick. I want him to die. How good he died. <laughs> I was very satisfied for my one watch of uh, of of my one episode of uh, Game of Thrones. But um, obviously, it ended. And it ended on a very flat note, um, and you know there are a lot of people that are disappointed and stuff like that. But I'm kind of, I'm not even. I don't even want to talk about Game of Thrones. I'm not. I'm talking about it from a you know abstract standpoint, uh, point of view. 
I'm not talking about Game of Thrones here. I'm going to actually talk about Breaking Bad because the day after when I woke up and you know Game of Thrones ended officially the night before and everyone got their th- everyone got their you know hot takes off and thoughts off thoughts off about it and if they liked it if they were indifferent which most people were and some people hated it as well you know and you know we could talk about the petitions and stuff like that which I find stupid you know it's kind of disrespect to in my mind it's a disrespect to especially the actors that put so much effort into this I feel like you know for one thing that you it, you can shit on Game of Thrones for the story and the writing which I well I can't obviously say because uh, if they did or not because I didn't watch it but from why from the people I know you know they they diverted from the books and you know they kind of got bit for it you know, when you do that sometimes you you go in thinking that yeah, it'll be fine you, you know you have to go you have to go in that with some confidence and I think uh, Weiss and Beninoff I think that's the show creators names they obviously got too big for their boots and you know they fumbled it they fumbled the bag to be completely honest um, in my mind uh, from what I've seen and for the people I know <coughs> excuse me that I've watched it and now they're going to Star Wars which is just daunting to me I, I mean I'm not a Star Wars fan but I do like going to see them in cinemas um, I, 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 that don't that don't sound like a nice prospect to me. That does not sound like a nice prospect. If they, if they fumbled Game of Thrones, which was you know the show for a good ten for a good however many years it's been on, like eight years or whatever, eight seasons anyway, then how the hell are you gonna manage to make Star Wars? Which you know there has been some fatigue, and you know in in recent years there have been some Star Wars fatigue already. In the two movies, the two main movies that have dropped, and also the 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 spin-offs, in in for lack of a better phrase, you know, there's already been fatigue for that. And you wanted them to do Star Wars? Eh, don't like the prospect. But anyway, after all that, and after all the fanfare, and after all the you know people on Twitter going, eh, didn't like it. Yeah, oh, what a waste of time. Yeah, I saw Breaking Bad trending on my on my Discover page. I was like, well, I didn't need to click on it because I knew exactly what they were going to talk about. I knew exactly why Breaking Bad was trending. And obviously I clicked on it because, you know, just to be sure. But I knew at that point. I knew why Breaking Bad was there. I was like, you you Breaking Bad fans are coming out of the woodwork again. Saying Breaking Bad is the best TV show in the in this, de- this, this century. I will say once again, Breaking Bad is not the best TV show of this century. Okay? Stop this. Stop, stop, stop. You fanboys, I don't, who, who the hell, who the hell, just first off, who the hell gave Breaking Bad fans the, the, the ghoul, the, uh, the unmitigated ghoul to talk about Breaking Bad in a goat sense? Who, who gave you that license? What article did you read that gave you that license? When was this public knowledge? This is not public knowledge to me. I do not see Breaking Bad as the greatest show of all time, or not the greatest show. Well, we're talking about this century because, you know, shows before then, like, you know, you know, in the 90s and 80s are kind of different now. TV's different now. From it's a completely different landscape. So I just keep it to the century. So, you know, when you when no 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 no. Breaking Bad is not the greatest show this this century. Game of Thrones clearly fumbled the bag, and I kind of go and uh, minor tangent. I kind of like going to the Seth MacFarlane theory of seasons and how long TV shows should go for. I think he said in an interview that the rule is that the rule is you know six or seven seasons is kind of the limit you know six or seven seasons is when a show starts to die and you know if you look at some shows you know some end at five some end at four three two one then some end at 15 you know some and 
you know, it, a, it, it can be a show by show basis, but you know, in the broad sense, it's kind. He's kind of right. Most most uh, TV shows end at about five, six, or seven, and they're better off for it. Some shows go on like Game of Thrones to eight seasons, and they fumble it, and they kind of ruin the whole thing because for whatever reason, for whatever Game of reason, Game of Thrones uh, fumbled. Breaking Bad obviously ended on a good note. It ended on one of the highest notes I think of all time from a ratings perspective, and I understand that. I respect that. I respect Breaking Bad. Don't get me wrong. I can talk about Breaking Bad because I've watched it. I've watched Breaking Bad. I don't. I wouldn't talk about it if I didn't watch it. Okay, but Breaking Bad is not the best TV show of this, this century. It is barely. It is barely top five in my mind. And I'm, I'm. I'm being completely subjective. You know. Obviously, I like. I like many other shows this century. Yeah, um, I can objectively, but objectively, it is not. Objectively, it is not the best, sh- best TV show of this century. It objectively, it is top five. Subjectively, it is not nowhere, anywhere near my top five. Probably not anywhere near my top ten. But that's just me, obviously. Objectively, and I will stick to objectively, it is top five. Okay, it is around, is around that top five area. It's not top three. It's top five, four or five, somewhere around the area. The reason why I don't, why, why I don't, you know, rate it as highly as most people think it's the greatest show of all time. Nyeh, no, the, uh, it gets to the point where you know when when, you know, just to stop right, right quick. The reason I, you know, the, the way I look at TV shows in this case when we're talking about the greatest TV shows of all time, and I will say what my greatest TV show of all time is. By the way, I will say that at some point because I feel like I need to say that at some point. Um, my criteria is not exactly what's great about them. I try and find negatives because obviously there, you know, you could say all the great points that you can. You can say all the great points to the first five seasons of Game of Thrones. You can say everything great about Breaking Bad. The bad things are for me, for me is where I where I go to because it, that's where that's where the that's where the meat lies for me. That's where the meat lies. You know, you can you can say. You could say for ages how great Breaking Bad is. You could say how great what I think is the best TV show of this de- of this uh, century, which is The Wire. And you could say why that is the greatest show. I can say why it's the greatest show, but I go to the negatives instead because I feel like that's where you can that's where you can make that's where you can make separations. So for The Wire, I can't think of a definite, you know, concrete negative to give it. You know, I can I can nitpick. I can you know start watching them one to five, and I and I'll give you a nitpick if you really want me to. But I can't find a concrete, full on reason of why that show is terrible. It's not. It's great. It's an amazing piece of writing. It's an amazing piece of television. Okay, and I'll stop there. But when you get into the negatives of like stuff like The Sopranos, I I personally think The Sopranos is too long in terms of episode length. Regularly, 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 when I watch that show, there are many shows, and obviously it was uh, ninety minutes with adverts. So you know it's about fifty plus minutes without adverts. That's too long. That's too long for most episodes of The Sopranos. You know, it's sometimes the episodes drag. They really do, and you know, if you're if you're if you're a Sopranos fan, I wonder, do you feel the same way? Because I definitely do that. You know, I'm not a Sopranos fanboy or anything, but sometimes the episode I watch some episodes, I'm like, I've got another 15 minutes of this, you know. So it's a it's long, it's a bit long for me, you know, sometimes. So um, and it's the same with Boardwalk Empire. I really enjoyed that show. I watched, I think, the first uh, first season and like half of the second season, I think. 
it just it's just too long. Ninety minutes per episode in my mind for a for a whole show, several seasons is too long for me. It's too long for me. Like I can't watch a film a feature film worth every episode. It's a bit long for me. I understand if it's like a week, if you know, if it's from week to week. But in this binge culture we're at right now, it it, it does not work for me. It does not work. Now, when we get to Breaking Bad, my negative, personally, is the characters. I past Walter, past Jesse, the rest of the characters fucking suck. They, I hate them all. I hate them all. They all are just moany. They just suck. Hank, you can yeah, you can throw Hank in there. You know, obviously Gus is a G. Gus is an absolute G. Uh, Mike is a G. You know, obviously you can throw them in. But like the family, uh, what's her name? What's her name? Hank's wife? God, she sucks. Oh my days! Why is she even there? You know what I mean? That they, I get, I get why the, these are these why these characters are the way they are. But it's so dragging. It's so energy sapping. When you're trying to enjoy this kind of thing, where you when you're seeing this dude with cancer and he's about you know he's, he's years away from dying, he's dying and he's trying to like you know stack up some pee, you know, and now he's getting now he's he's getting his balls back and he's becoming like you know badass kind of thing. It's cool. I get why Breaking Bad is enjoyable. I I enjoyed it, but the characters are so deflating sometimes, so deflating they just kill the show for me. And I don't get that with the Sopranos. I don't get that with The Wire. I don't. I haven't seen Game of Thrones, but the characters look the 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 characters look like a high point in most in in most seasons for Game of Thrones fans. I don't get that with Breaking Bad, and that's the only reason why I don't consider Breaking Bad the greatest TV show of this of this century. I can't I can't get past the character some of the characters. They're just so moany and just so deflating they just stop the show dead they stop this episode dead that i'm watching i'm just like fucking hell just let this scene end every time i need it every time and i don't get that with the other shows and i think that's a big problem that's a big problem now the writing you could talk about the writing of breaking bad and obviously the writing's amazing the story structure is amazing you know the the way they do the flash uh, the the kind of the predictive um you know, this is going to happen, this this scene, you know, at the start of the show, this scene is going to be, you know, highly relevant later in the show. I love that. I do love that. But the characters just kill me. The characters just kill my vibe so many times and I just can't deal with it sometimes. It just it just sucks. Some of the characters just suck. But yeah, just to just to say The Wire is the best show. If you have not seen The Wire, please go see The Wire before you talk, because at least I've seen the shows. You know, if you get this is what this is something that I you know do find funny sometimes with you know when we see when we talk about films or music or you know any type of art. If you haven't seen what I'm talking about, go see what I'm talking about. And if you feel the same way, then bark at me all you like. But you know, you know, don't don't talk to me if you haven't seen it. Just just I'm not, I'm not being I'm not being a dick. I'm just being you know thorough. Like if you if you want to if you want to have this argument, I will happily have this argument. But you need to have seen The Wire first. You need to see The Sopranos first. You need to see Breaking Bad. And you need to see Game of Thrones. I'm not going to put Game of Thrones in my conversation because I don't care, to be completely honest. If you want to put it in your conversation, you can put it in your conversation. I'm fine with that. You can put it there if you want, really want to. But I won't say anything bad or good about it because I don't know anything about it. I will stay out of that. But if you want to talk about The Wire and you haven't seen, about the, wi- and you haven't seen the Wire, go see The Wire. That's basically, that's basically what I'm leaving it on. <laughs> Just go see The Wire. <laughs> If you think Breaking Bad is better, 
go see the wire first and then change and then see if you see if your mind hasn't changed but anyway that's been moss good i hope you guys have enjoyed the episode i've, I've really enjoyed this one you know uh, I, f- I feel good uh, i might, might actually just go wolf dog right quick you know just to continue with my things continue with my life and uh i hope you do too um you know I, I do enjoy the fact you know you guys you know spend an hour with me every week i, I do appreciate that you know when it comes to you know, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, these creative endeavours I do, you know, the writing, the fifth element overall, and obviously the podcast network with the, you know, what's good and also digging in the digits. If you want if you want to listen to another podcast featuring me, digging in the digits, uh, hit that up, search out anywhere where you listen to, quick plug. And, you know, I, I know current, the currency of this is time. The currency of this is time. It's not money. You know, this isn't monetary. This is a, this is a... I'm asking you for your time, and sometimes that is that is hard for some people, and I understand that, but if you do listen to this on a weekly basis, you know, an hour, give or take every show, I really, really do appreciate you, honestly, I really do, I, I can't say enough, I really do appreciate the time that you give, um, we don't think of time as a currency, but, you know, when we when we think about what we're watching, what we're listening to, what we're reading, what we're you know what we're, what we're consuming our time is the most valuable thing and i and i hold that dear to myself constantly you know this is why i don't watch stuff like reality tv shows because you know i don't have my time is precious i want to you know educate myself i want to listen to stuff i want to listen to watch stuff i want to watch you know what i mean so and that's kind of the beauty of what i'm doing right what i want to do right now and what i'm doing so um you know, I'm I'm happy for that. I'm grateful for that, and I'm grateful for you guys to constantly listen. So um, I really do appreciate. It. But anyway, enough of being soppy. The fifth element for all the links uh, during the show that I've read during the show. If you want to read those yourselves, go ahead. We'll be back next week. Uh, Brandon Was Goods from the Fifth Element Podcast Network. I've been Chai Taylor. This has been Was Goods. Have a great week, everybody. Enjoy the sun if you're in the UK, because I'm, I'm feeling the heat right now. I'm wearing a vest as I speak. Uh, enjoy your week. I'll try and enjoy mine. I'll see you next time. Take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen.